you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you as those in need of your mercy. We come to you as citizens of a nation in need of your mercy. God, we come to you as your people who, while we live in this world, in this nation, in this day, we know that we are citizens of heaven. And we pray that we would live as such bringing glory and honor to you in all that we do. So God, I pray that as we come to this text this morning, God, that you would give us ready hearts, listening ears to your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God's providence is a wonderful thing. When I realized the timing of Romans 13, 1 through 7, my first reaction was, oh, that's just great. As it got closer and closer, my reaction was, oh, that's just great. You know, I've gone back and forth on whether or not I was excited about this passage on this day or whether or not I was not. I I don't know. I still don't know. I may know at the end of the day uh, or in the next hour. Regardless, it doesn't matter, does it? Regardless, God is a God who providentially guides his people and who has brought us to Romans 13, 1 through 7 on this day in this nation. And so we're going to look at it and we're going to hear what God's word has to say to us. As an elementary student, we all dreaded Mr. Frederick. And the reason that we dreaded Mr. Frederick is he was the principal. Mr. Frederick was a nice man, I believe. But Mr. Frederick had something in his office that was very, very dreaded. It was a paddle the size of a giant red oak. It had holes drilled through it to increase velocity. And I don't know how this worked, but somehow he had an electric current running through it, that when it hit your backside, it stung, and it felt like you had 220 volts running through your backside. One of the great heroes of our elementary school, I think it was the urban legend, but was the kid who slid a book in his pants to go in to see Mr. Frederick. I never found out who that kid was because I don't think he existed, but we all dreaded Mr. Frederick. But what my dad told me caused me to be a little more fearful of Mr. Frederick. My dad said, son, I want you to know that I'm sending you to that school, and I appreciate Mr. Frederick, I like Mr. Frederick, and I support Mr. Frederick. And if you ever go to see Mr. Frederick and get a a paddling from Mr. Frederick, you can rest assured that when you come home, I will finish the work that was begun. 
I lived under authority, is what I found out. And I didn't necessarily like that. Because here's the reality, is at nature, I am a rebel at heart. And I did not like living under that authority. I have an ingrained desire, an ingrained giftedness to buck authority and to be my own master. And I think you would probably agree, we have that, don't we? We have that desire. We've seen it all the way from the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the desire to buck authority, the desire to be a rebel. But what I understood and learned is that while I might not necessarily like authority, I lived under authority. And as much as I wanted to justify my actions, as much as I wanted to justify my rebellion based on my opinion or my given situation, the reality was I lived under dad's authority and then Mr. Frederick's authority as an elementary student. In Romans 13, 1 through 7, we learn that the Christian life is one lived under authority. And we readily live under God's authority. We affirm that. We give a hearty amen to God's authority and God's sovereignty. When we come to Romans 13, 1 through 7, we come across a passage that is difficult. A passage that is hard, that, that tells us that we not only live under God's authorities, but we, have, we also live under the authorities that he has placed over us, the governing authorities. And so before we come to this passage, I want us to keep a few things in mind. I want to give you a few things that we have to kind of be at one with before we come to this passage. Here's the first one is that we come to this passage not as the word of Todd, but we come to this passage as the word of God. And God's word is our authority. That means when we come to Romans 13, 1 through 7, it may be difficult, and it may say some things that we don't necessarily like to hear, but it rules out all of our but well, I think, or, well, I'm just going to, statements. All of those statements are set aside. Because when we come to God's Word, we understand that it is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word of God. And He has given it to us for a reason. Not to make us feel good. Not to make us happy. He's given it to us that we might know what it takes to be saved, that we might know who God is, who reigns supreme, and we might know how to live for His glory. The second thing I want us to remember is this, is that when we come to this text, we have to be aware of our own political opinions, ideas, feelings. We have to be aware of that. We have to have some sense of awareness that I am really passionate about this. I have a strong opinion about this. We just have to be aware of that as we come to Romans 13, 1 through 7. We can't allow our opinions and our political leanings to cause us to read this text a certain way. We have to allow the text to shape our political leanings. We have to allow the text to shape how we live as citizens in our nation. So the text is the authority, not my opinions, not my leanings. The third thing that we have to understand is this, is that the goal of this sermon is not political. There are no political statements going to be made. I'm not going to affirm or speak against any particular political party or individual. This is not a political sermon. I want to make that very clear. This is a sermon about our great and sovereign God and how He has set things in motion in His economy in our world. The final thing 
perhaps the most important thing that we need to understand is that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Our primary citizenship as is to be a child of God. Hear what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now you see what Paul says here. He says, listen, we are waiting on God to do this. We are waiting for him who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That is what we await. That's what we look forward to, that God will do that. But as we await and as we look forward, what are we? We are currently citizens in heaven. That's important. That means that right now, you and I primarily live as citizens in heaven. Our citizenship is primarily that of being of the kingdom of God. And secondarily, as being an American. So our citizenship is in heaven. And we have to remember that. Because Paul's concern, and we're going to see this in Romans 13, his primary concern was that they lived a godly life in the midst of current and impending persecution. That was his concern in Philippians. That's his concern in Romans. That would be the concern for us as citizens of heaven today. That we primarily live godly lives. Paul is not primarily concerned with what type of government there is, how godly or ungodly it is. He's concerned with how ungodly or godly we are. Because we are citizens of heaven. So understanding that our citizenship lies ultimately and primarily in heaven informs how we carry ourselves as citizens of the United States. That should be primary. Because our U.S. citizenship lies under our heavenly citizenship. And we have to understand that. If we want to be able to come to Romans 13, 1-7, we have to understand Philippians 3. We have to understand that our citizenship is in the kingdom of God, or we will not be able to submit to Romans 13, 1 through 7. Romans 13, 1 through 7 is a hard text. It is difficult. So we must come to it as those who are citizens of heaven. We must come to it with a humble attitude. Let's read the text this morning. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, 
but too bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. And if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And we read this text and we must remember the context in which it is written. It is not written by a man living under an ideal government ruling situation. It's written by the Apostle Paul who knew well the abuses of government authorities. He knew well what it meant to see the depravity of those in leadership positions. He knew what it was like to live as a Christian under the leadership of those who would not only uh, not claim to be Christians, but who would attack Christianity and seek to stomp it out. As history tells us, Paul lost his head at the hands of the Roman government, most likely the hands of the emperor Nero in the Neronian persecutions. So Paul does not write this in a way that we would look at him and go, well, Paul, you, you really just don't understand what it's like. You don't get it. No, Paul, Paul very much gets it. Paul very much understands what it's like to live in a time where the rulers and the authorities, the governing authorities are ungodly and depraved. And so with that, we come to it and we don't come saying, Paul, you don't understand. We come to it and go, God, why did you lead Paul to write this? Why did you inspire him to write this? And what do you want that to do in my life and inform my life and how I live as a citizen in the United States? So here's the key thought of the text. The key thought that we need to get is in verse 1, that Christians are to submit to their governing authorities. He says, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Paul does not condition this on anything, does he? He does not condition it on the state being good. He's not conditioning it on the state being godly citizens, on ones that we agree with. He simply says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Authorities. We must not take this command lightly. We can't read it and go, well, but. We just read it. And we hear what the Word of God says. It says to submit. It's a posture of living under the authority of another. He, he doesn't say obey as in this strict obedience to every little thing. There's room there. But he says to submit that we would have a posture of living under the authority of another. It's the understanding that we do indeed have a mind, we have a voice, but at the end of the day, we live under the authority of the state. Now there's, there's some scripture I think are important cross-references that we need to look at in relation to this text. The first one is in 1 Peter 3. You can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen. First, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2. 
1 Peter 2, 13 to 17 is another important text about how we submit to or how we function as citizens. Listen to what Peter says. Again, Peter, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, writes this. 1 Peter 2, 13. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, I want to just point a few things out in this text that we see. One, we see who do we ultimately serve? We ultimately serve God. He says, be subject, what? For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. We ultimately serve God. So the reason that we submit, the reason that we live as good citizens is for the Lord's sake, for the glory of God, because we submit to him as the sovereign ruler over all. So that's who we ultimately serve to. And who we submit to? Every human institution, whether it's the emperor as supreme or governor sent by him. He says we're to submit to them. Emperors, governors. Now why? Why do we submit to them? What's the purpose? Because they are or their purpose of them, not why do we submit to them, but what is their purpose? In verse 14, he says that they have been sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So ultimately, or ideally, the purpose of the government, the purpose of the state is to affirm and lift high those who do good, to praise those who do good, to praise those who act rightly or righteously, and to punish those who do evil. That's what the government should be doing. We see that here. We'll see that again in Romans 13 in a few moments. He also answers why we submit. Why do we submit? That by doing good... You should put to silence the ignorant of foolish people. Listen, according to this, when you read this and you read Romans 13, the bottom line is that God's people should be model citizens. We should be model citizens. We should be those that people can look at and go, wow, that's what it looks like to be a model citizen. That's what it looks like to be a good citizen, a good law-abiding citizen. So we are not those who evade taxes. We are not those who just look for laws to break at every turn and to find loopholes and find ways around. We are those who people would, would look to and see they are model citizens. We are not those who just tear to shreds verbally those we don't agree with. We are not those who constantly speak ungodly of those who lead us. We are to be model citizens. This doesn't mean that we agree with everything. It doesn't mean that we don't have a voice. It doesn't mean that we support everything or even like our leaders agree with them on everything. But it does mean that in the midst of this, when they do wrong or when they don't act righteously, we still honor them. And we still live in a way that glorifies God. Peter says, fear God. Honor the emperor. The second text that we need to be aware of, that we need to come to, is, is Titus 3. We read that. We meditated on it. Titus 3. 
It says, remind them, Paul's writing to Titus, to remind us, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Again, Paul does not say anything about the ungodliness of the leaders. He does not say anything about their policies. He's concerned with the godliness of God's people. Again, our primary responsibility is to live as citizens of heaven. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good word, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Paul is calling us to live as model citizens, godly citizens. A third text, 1 Timothy 2, 1-2, to where Paul says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and a quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This text moves us beyond this kind of passing, passive putting up with our leaders. And it moves us toward an active posture of praying for our leaders. We're not called to just put up with them. We're called to pray for them. And why do we do this? Paul says, so that we may lead a peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, I'm just going to be really honest with you. God used all four of these passages that we've read this morning. Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, Titus 3, 1 Timothy 2, to rebuke me over the last 8 to 10 months. I, I will confess to you that I was not one who honored our leaders and my prayers for them were very little. What was great from this mouth was criticism and cynicism. But God rebuked me from his word. And God dealt with me and drove me to my knees. Because my criticism, my, my cynicism was not over issues of sin. Oh, they certainly are there, have been there. But that wasn't what I was worried about. My criticism was over my assessment of them and my opinion of their decisions. So I just share that with you to say this. I get it. These texts are hard. It is hard to come to these texts in a day where there are decisions and leaders that I just simply don't agree with. There are leaders in our nation, across our nation, who are absolutely ungodly. And I find it difficult to carry this out. But because I find it difficult does not mean that I don't. It means that I am to submit to them. And I am to pray for them. And so thanks be to God that he is a God who disciplines his people. So, 
the key thought is let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's four points about this that Paul makes about what this looks like, first thing, or why this is. The first thing is this, is that we submit. Why? Because all authority is granted by God. All authority is granted by God. He says, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So God reigns supreme. All authority is granted by Him. It's the same thing we read in in Exodus 9.16. Paul quotes this later in Romans 9, that God's message to Pharaoh is what? Oh, Pharaoh, you're just too strong. I'm just not powerful enough to to really change anything. No, that's not his message. What does Paul, or Paul affirm? What, is, what does Moses say to Pharaoh? But for this purpose, God has said, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. God said, Pharaoh, God said to Pharaoh, listen, the reason you're where you are is because of me. You need to understand that. You need to get that, that I've raised you up. Why? To show you and all those around my power. To show my glory, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Nobody's walking around today proclaiming and glorifying the name of Pharaoh. He's a figure in history. But there are millions across the globe proclaiming and glorifying the name of God. He raises kings up and he sets them down. Second Chronicles 25.20 we see an example of Amaziah's ungodly defiance. And we read this, but but Amaziah would not listen, for it was of God, in order that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. Why, Why does Amaziah rebel? Why does he defy? Because it was in God's plan. This leader, this man, was in subjection to the sovereign God. And it was in order that God might give them into the hand of their enemies because they had sought the gods of Edom. They were being punished. We look to Daniel. Daniel's an interesting book. We'll probably look at it more next week. Daniel 2, verse 20 to 21. Daniel is living in bondage under Nebuchadnezzar, and he prays this. He says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belongs wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. God is sovereign. You recall Jesus standing before Pilate, awaiting crucifixion, knowing what awaits him. Pilate looks at him. He's questioning him, interrogating him, the people are around. And what does Jesus tell Pilate? Pilate's asked him, are you a king? And Jesus looks him in the eye and says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Now, in Georgia, we add Jack to that. Say, You would have no power over me, Jack, if it were not given to you from above. Can you imagine Pilate? Jesus says, listen, you're sovereign over this little area. I'm sovereign over all. The word authority 
there that Paul uses in Romans 13. He says, for there is no authority except from God. It is not, some, some texts may say power, it is not just power. The word authority refers to a delegated power. It's a power that's given to a person or a group of persons by another. It means that our authority or the leaders that our authority have been given has been delegated to them by God Almighty. Now that's important. It's important that it's a delegated power because it means this. It means that they are responsible for how they exercise it. They answer to God. They're responsible to God because that power has been delegated to them from God. So when they lead in a way that is outside of the purview of God's will and God's directive and God's righteousness and holiness and justice, then they will answer to God. They are responsible to Him because that power has been delegated to them. So we rest in God's sovereignty. The reason that we can hear Romans 13, 1a, that every person is to be subject to the governing authorities is because we know the reality of Romans 13, 1b and c, that there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The sovereignty of God is the foundation of the command that Paul gives us in Romans 13, 1. It is the foundation. Why should we submit? Because our sovereign God has placed them over us. This is not just true of the Roman Empire. This is true of our day right now in this moment. We submit because our sovereign God has placed our rulers over us. We cannot pick and choose when we affirm the sovereignty of God. We cannot be those who say, you know, I submit to and affirm the sovereignty of God when it matches what I want to happen. No, we submit to and we affirm the sovereignty of God in all times. We affirm it, we hold to it, we submit to it even when it's hard. Why? Because we know that the God who is sovereign is the God who is good and wise and we ultimately trust His purposes even when we can't understand them. Even when it seems that ungodliness is abounding in every arena of leadership in our nation and nations around the world as we see people, as we talked about last week, Christians, followers of Christ, oppressed by leaders and rulers across the world. We trust that our God is sovereign. Because we trust that there is a bigger picture that we don't fully see, we don't fully grasp, but He knows and in His goodness and His wisdom and His sovereignty, He is working, He is ruling, and He is reigning. And so we trust that. We trust that. So at the end of the day, we rest not in the local sovereignty of our president. We rest not in the local sovereignty of of our governing officials. We rest not in the local sovereignty of our governor, of our mayor, or any other ruler in this world. No, we rest in the universal sovereignty of God Almighty. That's what we rest in. That's what we hope in. Our hope is that regardless of our opinion of how the election went or how our opinion of our governor's decisions are, our hope rests not in our leaders, but in the one who reigns over our leaders. That's where our hope is. So that also means that we're not those who wring our hands and wail that the world is over if the election didn't go our way. And we're not those who shout from the rooftops and say, all of our cares are gone, hope has come, the election has gone my way. No, we're neither of those. 
Because our hope is not in man. Our hope is not in our leaders. It's not in our rulers. Our hope is in our God. Our hope is in the one who is sovereign and wise and good. Our hope is in the one who works all things out according to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So today, regardless of your satisfaction or dissatisfaction of the past week, it does not change your hope. It does not elevate it. It does not increase it. It simply reminds us that our hope is in God and in God alone. Our hope is not dashed. Our hope is not changed. Our hope is in God. The God who's faithful and does not change. Second, Paul says in verses 3 through 4, we are called to live as good citizens. He calls us to live good lives. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear to the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. Do what is good. His worry, again, he's not concerned with the integrity and the godliness or ungodliness of the rulers. He's concerned with us. He's concerned with us living as God's people. He's concerned with us obeying as we're called to obey. A government government functioning as God intends will honor those who do good and punish those who do evil. It will. That's what it is set to do. That's what God's prerogative is. But we know, we understand that we live in a broken and a sin filled world and so we have rulers that don't do this but our concern is still primarily to be those who obey and are model citizens who do good that are walk in a manner worthy of christ listen there is a lot of talk about civil disobedience we're going to cover that next week we're going to break this sermon up into two sermons and we're going to look at the, the questions that this text brings about, but, but what about this? What about this instance and other texts in Scripture? There, there is the reality of civil disobedience, but, but here's the thing is that with all the talk of civil disobedience, this text sets before us first civil obedience. We cannot come at this text, we cannot come at our government with a posture of civil disobedience. We come first with a a posture as Christians, as citizens of heaven, who come first with civil obedience on mine. That I want to see as much as I can how I can be a model citizen. How can I posture myself to bring glory to God as a citizen of heaven and to bring honor to his name in the way I'm a citizen of the United States? So my posture is first to civil obedience. The next thing Paul says, the third is that, that God has granted governing authorities a particular sphere of authority. Verse 4 says that he, the ruler, authority, government, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he, is, he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. We read the same thing in 1 Peter 2.14. Governors are sent by God to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. The state, the rulers, the governing authorities have been given the sword to punish evil and the sword to defend against evil. The state should carry out that role. The state should affirm those who do good. Coming out of Romans 12, that means that we do not seek vengeance. Why? 
Because we understand, A, that the vengeance is the Lord's, and B, that he has established governing authorities to carry out justice on earth. This means that we do call them to biblical justice. It means that we, as believers, do call upon the law to be upheld. We do call upon the law to be upheld when it's broken, to be carried out. We call for true biblical justice to be served. Because that's what the sphere of authority is for the state. The final thing that Paul says, verse 6, he says, We are to give to governing authorities that which we owe to them. We are to give to them that which we owe to them. He says, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We're to give to the governing authorities that which is owed to them. Here it it means that we are indeed to pay taxes. We are to support the authorities. Why? Because they have been set here to carry out God's mandate to affirm what is good, to punish what is evil. And we have to support that. We have to. Now, we understand Jesus' teaching in Matthew 22, 15 to 22 as well. Do you remember this, where they come and they go, hey, should we pay taxes? And what does Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And then what does he say? And to God, what is God's? We'll talk about the second part of that phrase next week. What does it mean? See, Jesus affirms on the one hand, right, that we are to be law-abiding citizens there. On the other hand, there are limits that he would also affirm. So this, this means that we do give what is owed. That does not mean that I have to agree with the amount of taxes. It does not mean that I can't debate and argue and stand for what I think taxes should be. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't be concerned with the stewardship of that tax money. But it does mean that I should not be one who refuses to pay taxes. And is deceitful on my return. Finally, he says, give respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I was encouraged this week thinking about this because this is where at times I've found very difficult. I found this to be hard for me. My rebel heart. But you know what I was reminded of this week? It was David. Do you remember David has already been appointed king? Saul is the reigning king. And what is Saul doing? Saul's trying to kill him. Saul's attacking him. David flees. And in those moments, David has opportunity to do what? To kill him. Does he kill him? No. Why? Because he understands that that Saul is God's anointed king. And David's trust 
is in God more than it is in Saul. And so in those moments, David flees, David hides, David disobeys. But David also respects and honors the king. We are called to give respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. There is a certain level of respect and honor we need to give our leaders regardless of if we agree with them or disagree with them. I expect my children to do the same thing when they walk into a classroom. They may or may not like their teacher. But as far as I'm concerned, they will respect their teacher. They will give honor to that teacher. We should do the same as citizens. I want to close by just having you hear these words again from Peter. So I would just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I just want you to hear these words from Peter again as we close our time together today. Peter writes, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. God, we ask you to help us do what your word has called us to do. God, I, I would... I would say that regardless of our political stance, regardless of our opinions of how everything is going right now with the pandemic, regardless of who we support or don't support, God, we find this text difficult. But God, our prayer is that we would live as model citizens bringing glory and honor to you. God, we know, and we'll look at this next week, God, we'll look at when is it appropriate to disobey? When is it appropriate to stand for you and against the authorities? Is it appropriate? But God, before we go there, before we even consider that, God, would you work in us a spirit of obedience to you that we would think first of civil obedience before we do civil disobedience. That we would look first to the reality that you reign supreme. That you put kings in place and you remove kings from place. That you, O oh God, are sovereign. So God, before we even consider the difficult times of which we must stand 
against. God, would you work in us a hope that is so fixed upon you, a faith that is so set upon you, that we live as model citizens, bringing glory to you and honor to you as your people. And we ask that you would do that in our lives today. In Christ's name, amen.